Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. As Pete said, uh, this is my last official Sunday on staff here at the church after 14 plus years, and uh, I'm very, very grateful for those years. And yes, we've got some change coming down the pike. Uh, and that is okay. I picked this song in our mixtape series because one, um, this song Pompeii by Bastille talks a little bit about change. It talks about, you know, change coming down the pike. It also talks about what it's like when you get stuck in a place where you don't want change. Uh, I also chose it because it happens to not be from the seventies or the eighties. And so far, all the other songs have come from one of those eras, and uh, maybe uh, based on the looks on your faces, I should have picked something from the 70s. You guys might have actually known it. But um, before we get into all of that, I do want to give a couple of words to a few groups of people after all these years. Um, you know, and it's kind of weird. I've, I got real emotional when I was practicing all of this, but I didn't get emotional at first service. So we'll see what happens at this service. Um, to Hillside staff, after 14 years of serving together, I just want to say I love your hearts. Um, one thing I've always known is regardless of what project we're working on or thing that we're in the midst of trying to figure out, I always know we're of one heart, and that's to serve and to love Jesus and to serve and to love people. You are all wonderful people. I, they're spread around here, and I will definitely miss working next to you. To the children's staff team, those that have been on the team or are on the team now and those that have been here before, you guys have always been a pleasure to work with. You've stood shoulder to shoulder with me. You've been my friends. You've put up with a lot of crazy meetings. And those of you who don't know me well, I throw out all kinds of nutty ideas. And the children's ministry team was the ones that had to put up with it and humor my wild ideas. And every once in a while, you even let me implement one of them. So you all should be very, very grateful to the children's ministry team for tempering my wild ideas over the last 14 years. Um, I've learned so much from you about what it means to lead and I look forward to applying that in a new setting. I only hope that my new team will be as kind and forgiving of my foibles as you all have been. So thank you, my friends, for being there with me. To those of you who have volunteered in the children's ministry, you all inspire me. I love watching you with our kids both Hillside's kids and my own children. Um, You teach them, you sit with them. You guys do something that I am not capable of doing. You are able to stay in one place and stay focused for an entire service. And that is a tall task. Believe me, you can't teach children. You can't be there for children unless you're willing to do that. And I hope someday soon to be able to learn that ability. And uh, in the meantime, I will continue to be inspired as I watch you all take this ministry forward into God's future for years to come. And there is a bright future for our children's ministry. I'm excited to see that. To my own children, to Haley, to Rebecca, who's somewhere around here, and to Jaden, who is in the children's ministry right now and will continue to be in our children's ministry for years to come. I love you each to the moon and back. There she is. I see her back there. I know that I'm not always the most understanding or patient dad, but I love you and I'm growing in how to be and do those things. I look forward to more time growing together 
And I look forward to more intentional time watching you as you shine like stars. To my wife, Jenny, you, my dear, are a rock. Your steadiness and your ability to keep your emotions together when everyone else in the house is losing our minds is nothing short of amazing. Your steady faith in Christ has always been an example to me, and I love you, and I look forward to starting this new adventure together side by side. Now, to the rest of you, those of you listening here in this room and watching online, you all in this congregation, you encourage me. I love the kind words you've shared with me through the years, and this congregation is filled with people who make others' worlds better through encouraging words and encouraging actions. I've been the beneficiary of that for so many times, and it's because of you that I feel completely comfortable stepping away from this role and stepping away from this platform and stepping into the congregation with you. I hope and I pray that I can be as much of an encouragement going forward to the leaders of this church and to our community as you have always been to me. So thank you. So on that note, as my last time as a staff member to talk to you from this stage, I want to talk to you about something explosive. Now, some of you are thinking, and I know you're thinking this because a few of you called me and asked me, all right, now we get the real story. Come on now. And our world is full of those things. The explosive tell-all book that comes behind the scenes. Well, you know what? You're not going to hear that type of explosive here today. And there's two reasons for it. The first reason is there is no other story. It simply was time for a change. God had been working in my heart. My wife and I had been talking about it and praying about it for a while. And as we kind of thought things through, we decided the children's ministry was in a good place. It was a good time for a transition. There's a bright future ahead in the children's ministry. Yeah, it's going to be different, but it's very, very bright and God's got it. My family was in a good place and we just have a few short years until my oldest is off and out of the home and my next one's not far behind. And um, our family was in a good place for a transition. And then also my small business just happened to be something that God dropped in our laps and it was in a good place for a change to happen as well. So God brought all those things together in a pretty obvious place. So Ginny and I are both very comfortable with it. You, you would think that my wife, wife would be nervous and she is a little bit, but when I asked her this morning, how she was doing, she said she's doing good. And uh, we're excited about this change. Now, doing it in the middle of a pandemic is scary, but I will say this, this wasn't planned, or this was planned long before. And I remember Matt, who has been my boss the last few years as the executive pastor, he said, you sure you still wanna go about this when all this started to fall apart before it was announced? And I said, you know, yeah, absolutely. We, we believe God's led us to this. And things like pandemics shouldn't change God's plan in our lives, right? We keep going forward. The other reason you're not going to hear that type of story is because even though I'm stepping out of this role, I am still accountable to this community. I'll still be a part of the community and therefore I still have a responsibility to encourage and to help and to build each of you up. I still need the same from you as well. Our church leadership needs us to encourage them and to build them up. So since I'm not going anywhere and my family's not going anywhere, I still need you, you still need me and our leadership still needs all of us. That's how God created this thing called the church to function. But it's not easy. I mean, most of the time you see people run away when it's time for a change, right? But we decided not quite a year ago that we're gonna try this the hard way, but I believe it's the way that God wants it and what's gonna be best for this community. So 
The church is created that way. And frankly, that's the way life is supposed to be. That's the way God created us from the beginning. Way back in the beginning, when God created the first people, he placed them in a garden. And really, he called them to be accountable. We teach it in the children's ministry that God gave them a choice whether or not they were going to express love back to him. But really, what God was saying is, are you going to submit yourself? Are you going to be accountable to me? And the only way that he could figure that out was to give them that choice. Ultimately, what led to the fall was that Adam and Eve did not want to be accountable to God. They didn't want to submit to him. Instead, they had this illusion that they they could be autonomous. They could exist apart from accountability and submission to God. And that's what led to the rebellion as they committed the first sin. So since accountability requires submission and we don't like it, we instead choose to fill our lives up with stuff that distract us. We live busy, loud, filled up, corporate ladder climbing, keeping up with the Joneses, following the influencers' lives until one day, suddenly, boom, life gets our attention. August 24th, AD 79 was one of those days. The eruption of Mount Vesuvius that day destroyed the Roman cities of Pompeii, Herculaneum, Aplantis, and Stabae, as well as several other settlements. The eruption ejected a cloud of stone, ashes, and volcanic gases to a height of 21 miles, ultimately releasing 100,000 times the thermal energy released by the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings combined. May 18, 1980 was one of those days in Mount St. Helens, Washington. An earthquake at 8.32 a.m. caused the entire weakened north face to slide away, creating the largest landslide recorded. This allowed the partly molten high-pressure gas and steam-rich rock in the volcano to suddenly explode northwards towards Spirit Lake in a hot mix of lava and pulverized older rock, overtaking the avalanching face. An eruption column rose 15 miles into the atmosphere and deposited ash in 11 U.S. states and two Canadian provinces. I lived in Denver, Colorado at that time, and I remember for several days we had to dust off our cars each morning because it looked like it had snowed, but it was ash from Mount St. Helens that had fallen. At the same time, snow, ice, and several entire glaciers on the volcano melted, forming a series of large volcanic mudslides that reached as far as the Columbia River, nearly 50 miles to the southwest. Hundreds of square miles were reduced to wasteland in mere minutes. March 11, 2020 was one of those days. That's the day that the NBA shut down. I remember texting Matt and thinking, oh my goodness, this thing is big. That's when I felt, along with probably a lot of the rest of you, that it was only a matter of time before the world shut down too because of COVID-19. See, all these events, volcanic eruptions, global pandemics are referred to as once-in-a-lifetime events. An explosion of generational proportions that comes at us so suddenly and with such force that life is never the same afterwards. And life shouldn't be the same afterwards when something like that happens. So the question is, what are you going to do about it? When the world explodes and you're left in silence trying to pick up the pieces, what are you going to do about it? Well, thankfully, God gave us a pattern for how to handle these types of once-in-a-lifetime events, and it's called the Jubilee. Grab your Bible. You can turn to uh, Leviticus chapter 25. Now, somebody told me that 
since it's my last talk here as a staff person, that even if I talked from Leviticus, y'all would listen. And so I decided to take that literally. We're going to look at Leviticus chapter 25 in the Old Testament. It's part of the Pentateuch where Moses was writing instructions that God had given him on Mount Sinai before the people, when the people were in the desert, before they went into the promised land. So all of this happened before they were in the promised land. It says this, verse one, the Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, they hadn't entered yet, but when you enter the land, I'm going to give you the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Don't sow your fields, don't prune your vineyards, do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. So think about it. Before they even went into the promised land, God gave them instructions on something that they were going to need to do that would disrupt their world and disrupt their lives. If you lived in an agrarian culture, that was what they did. They farmed. It was their existence. It was their ability to eat. It was their ability to provide for their family. They depended on working the ground day in and day out. And so this command goes at the very heart of their ability to do that. It was an explosion followed by silence. And it goes at the heart of their independence. See, to obey this command, and it was a command, required them to submit to God's authority in their lives. They became accountable to the one that created the ground in the first place. They became accountable to God. But see, that's not even the year of Jubilee. This is what they call the Sabbath year. In case you aren't familiar with the concept of the Sabbath, let me review that quickly because that's helpful to us. When God created the world, he did so in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. Now, the Sabbath Sabbath is celebrated every seven days to commemorate that God rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. I mean, he's God. He did it because he knew we would need it, and he built it in from the very beginning. He built in a way to force us to slow down and acknowledge that built into the fabric of time and space and substance that we all have to submit. And he called it Sabbath. Wait, I always thought you might say that the Sabbath is a day that you go to church and you get together with other believers and you worship, right? Well, yeah, those are good things to do on that day. Or maybe you thought that was the day you don't do your normal work. You do things you enjoy. Maybe you take a nap, you rest, you refuel. Yes, those are good things to do on that day as well. But the reason it's good to rest, the reason it's good to gather with fellow believers, the reason it's good to worship is because all of those things are ways of acknowledging that we're accountable to God. They acknowledge that we need to submit to God. So let me show you the big picture of the Sabbath. That's where Jubilee comes in, all right? So remember, God asked the people to take a Sabbath year every seven years to let the ground lie fallow. Verse eight of Leviticus 25. It says, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty. Let me repeat that. Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan The 50th year shall be a jubilee. Don't sow, don't reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and it is to be holy for you. 
Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. So the seventh Sabbath year, the 49th year, or really the 50th year, was to be a super Sabbath, the year of Jubilee. In this year, the people of Israel again let the ground lie fallow. They didn't reap or plant. But in that year, they did some additional things. In the year of Jubilee, they were supposed to let their slaves go. Talk about explosive. They were supposed to let their workforce go. Additionally, they were supposed to forgive all debts. And then one more thing, they were supposed to return to their ancestral homeland, the land that God gave them when they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. They were supposed to release any land they had acquired over the last 49 years, anything that they owned back to the original owners. They had to start over, strip down to the beginning. Everyone gets a chance to start fresh. Everyone has to acknowledge that they're not in charge. Everyone has to submit to God's authority and acknowledge that they didn't own it in the first place. It was such a radical idea, hard to even see how it could be implemented in their society, but let alone our own society. But God gave the command anyway, and he gave it because he had their best interest in mind and he had our best interest in mind. God knew what was good for humanity. So in this instance, he caused an explosion. He blew it all up so that the people would be faced with a period of silence and so that they would be faced with submitting to him. So what does that have to do with you and me? I mean, we're not farmers. We don't own slaves. We couldn't possibly return our, our property to the original owners and who would the original owners be anyway? But I see three principles that we can pull out of the command of the Jubilee that we can apply in our lives during this explosion slash silent dichotomy that we're in during COVID-19. So briefly, if you're the note-taking kind, you're gonna wanna write this down because we're not putting anything on the screens today. The first principle is this. God gave the Jubilee because it was good for the soil. It was good for the soil, for the ground, for the dirt, for the earth. There were real scientific reasons why the soil needed a rest. A break every seven years helped it to produce better the other six years. Now, I'm not a farmer, obviously, or a scientist, but it has something to do with replenishing materials or minerals and nutrients in the ground. Now, you're probably not a farmer either, but look at it this way. Farming was their business. Farming was what they spent their days doing. It was their hobby. It was their entertainment. In addition to their work, they had to stop. If you had to stop all of those things for a year, every seven years, how upending would that be? And when they went back to it, they were better at it than they were before. The change in routine gave them time to replenish the source of what made them productive in the first place. That principle applies to your work and to my work. It applies to your hobbies and mine, your home and mine, and maybe even your business and mine. The ground gets a reboot and you too can get a reboot during this time. If I might give you a simple example from my business, we're, we're a home services company and we specialize in window coverings. And when the pandemic first hit, we couldn't go doing any, any installs in homes. Once the explosion settled and the silence hit, I decided one of the things we were gonna do was give everybody, uh, the men and women on my team, a chance to improve their skills. So everybody chose a book. 
They all watched some training videos. They even had a chance to present a project to me that it maybe had been on their mind, but never felt they had time to, to work on it in the past. And they used their time to get better. And now as we're able to get back to work, thankfully, we're better, stronger, and more productive than we were before. Similar uh, in my role here at the church, when in-person ministry shut down, we had to quickly pivot. Those of you with kids know we started doing online video and virtual content, but behind the scenes, what you didn't get to see that we start, was that we started to prepare for today. I started to step back. I started to give things over to the team, even before any of you knew that that was happening, and I started to prepare for them to take over. So in that sense, it was a blessing that we had that time to do that. And the team did a phenomenal job picking everything up. You're gonna get to hear from Pastor Anthony next Sunday, and I'm excited that you get to hear from him. Um, He's gonna give you some ways about how God has laid a foundation in his life for him to be your next children's pastor. Now, most of it happened over a number of years, but a lot of it also happened over the past few months as well. And it wouldn't have happened if we didn't take the time to let the soil lie fallow. So what does that mean for you in your world? What does it look like to let your soil lie fallow? What is your business, what in your business or your family, your hobby or your habits needs a reboot? What can you stop doing or you have been forced to stop doing that you can instead spend time getting better, stronger, faster when the world restarts? In addition to being good for the soil, God knew that Jubilee was good for the society. He asked them to let the slaves go, to forgive debts. No one has to spend their whole lives in poverty and no one gets to spend their whole lives ruling over others. Everyone gets a reboot. The goal was reconciliation between all people, no matter the race or social status. Jesus said it years, years later, the first shall become last and the last shall become first. Now, as hard as it is to let the soil lie fallow, This one's a lot harder. But I see some parallels between what God commanded the Israelites to do, which was basically rethinking the basic institutions of society from the ground up and what's happening today in our world. Now, this isn't a political talk and we don't need to go there, but isn't it interesting that during this time when everything has had to stop, that people are paying more attention to social justice? I know the rhetoric on both sides is explosive, but if we weren't in COVID, would everyone be paying as much attention as they are? I mean, if workers were still commuting on crowded highways, if sports were still being played, if summer plans hadn't been interrupted, do you think everyone would be paying as much attention? And personally, I'm grateful that the world is paying attention. And schools, COVID's forced some of the most rapid innovation and change on an institution that frankly is steeped in tradition and is uh, known for doing things the way they've always done things. But I've loved watching the administrators and the teachers in our local school districts figure these things out. They deserve literally a round of applause for all of their hard work. And so I am very grateful for what Pete said earlier. I know I can barely figure out what time to get my kids to school and they had to figure out how to make it all happen. And I'll just tell you one little side note. I don't know if it's a good thing, but my son's a kindergartner. So after the first three days of kindergarten, my wife texted me and said, is it a good thing that the principal already knows our son's name? (laughs) 
There's a lot. They have a lot on their plates. And some of it is because of my family. So you can pray for them. But I am so grateful that that institution and that those people didn't just punt, but they said, we're going to figure this thing out. We're going to make changes. And it's hard, but they're willing to do it. And the church too, your staff team has worked tirelessly coming up with new ways to do things. You should be proud of them. I mean, I was in that meeting in Pete's office that Friday of spring break when the orders came from the county. We couldn't do in-person services anymore. But the team mobilized, and within 24 hours, they had something ready to go online. And uh, it was a lot of work, but they pulled it off. And the innovation hasn't stopped and isn't going to continue stopping. And so I believe God has prepared us in many ways for change because of that. It's been great, and it's going to continue to be great. The big hot button issue of racial injustice, you know, I'm not really qualified to give advice on that, but I do believe that it's healthy that the issues are being brought to the forefront. I believe it's healthy that those in positions to speak up are speaking up, and I pray that there is progress in bringing all people of all colors together in reconciliation. That's the vision that the apostle John saw of the church in the end times, so we know that is what God wants, but it takes an explosion which hurts, followed by a time of silence to force us to think about it enough to enact change. And the Lord knows our society needs it. All right, let's make it personal. Ask yourself this. What societal issue are you struggling with? Are you mad at the police? Are you mad at the protesters? Are you mad at the schools for not reopening when you were ready? Or are you mad that they reopened too soon? in your opinion? Are you mad that church wasn't allowed to meet in person for a time? Maybe you're holding on to old attitudes that you need to let go. That brings me to the last observation about Jubilee. We've already said it was good for the soil and it was good for society, but God also gave us Jubilee because he knew it was good for the soul. It was good for the soul. See, Jubilee isn't just a command. It's also a picture. It's a picture that points us back toward God's original plan in the Garden of Eden. The Sabbath was instituted before the fall. That means that before sin entered the world, before we were a fallen people, God set aside time for mankind to submit to him by setting aside time for us to be silent. He set aside time for mankind to submit to him by not being productive. He set aside time in the original creation for mankind to submit to him by trusting that we don't have to do anything and he will still take care of our needs. Sabbath is about submission and trust. And the super Sabbath, the Jubilee, is about a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's a once in a lifetime explosion followed by a once in a lifetime opportunity to lie fallow, to lie silent, a once in a lifetime opportunity to think about needed changes in society's institutions, a once in a lifetime chance to reboot all so that we can learn to better submit to God. All so that we can learn to trust that God will take care of us even though our worlds are upside down and blown to pieces. But Jubilee didn't just look back. It also paints a picture that looks forward. Jubilee paints a picture that looks towards a time when sin will be no more. It paints a picture that looks towards a time when you will have perfect submission to God and perfect trust in God in a perfect world that he wants to remake for you and for me and for those who choose to follow him. 
But Jubilee finds its fulfillment not in the beginning or the end, but smack dab in the middle. Jubilee pointed towards Jesus as being the fulfillment of the perfect place to find rest for your soul. Luke chapter four, if you want to turn there, at the, it's the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. And Jesus had just come out of the wilderness where he was being tempted and it was time for him to take on a public ministry. And so he went to the synagogue on a Sabbath day and they handed him a scroll. And it says this in verse 17, Luke chapter four, verse 17. It says, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, otherwise known as the Jubilee. Then he rolled up the scroll, it says, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That scripture directly, it was actually multiple scriptures that are kind of brought together, but it refers to the Jubilee. Jesus was saying his whole purpose on earth was to give us what God the Father had always wanted us to have in the Jubilee. Jesus came to fulfill the ideals of Jubilee, but more than that, he came to be our Jubilee. He came to show us that we can find rest from our toil and rest from our turmoil. He came to show us that those on the bottom and those on the top can both have a reboot. The oppressed can be set free and the oppressor can be forgiven. But more than that, he came to show us that God can be trusted. And he came to show us that God's ultimate plan is a plan not where we run our own lives, but where we submit our lives to him and he will give us rest. Now here's the craziest part about both those passages that we read. They were both rejected. There is literally no evidence that Israel ever obeyed and practiced the command of the year of Jubilee. And after Jesus read the passage proclaiming that he was the Jubilee, he was rejected. The people ran him out of town and tried to throw him off a cliff. The people never got to experience the Jubilee because they never trusted God enough to believe that he could actually, they could actually take that once in a lifetime chance to reboot. They wouldn't submit, so they didn't receive the blessings. They held so tightly to the past I'm not giving up my slaves, they'd say. I'm not giving up my place in society. You're not taking my land back. I'm not gonna let the ground life fallow and lose a potential income of a year's worth of crops. They held so tightly to what they thought mattered that they couldn't see the better future that God had in store for them. Earlier, I told you about two volcanoes, Mount Vesuvius and Mount St. Helens. Both experienced sudden, life-altering explosions. They had many similarities, but there was one major difference between the two. When Mount St. Helens blew, thousands of acres of old forest were lost in just minutes. The mountain exploded sideways in such a way that the blast did much of its damage to land at its base. And as the trees lay flat on the ground, covered by volcanic ash, something started to happen. 
Within only a few days, scientists started to document that life began to spring back out of the ground. You see, the ash and rock that's thrown out of a volcano is among the most fertile soil on a planet. Out of the dust came life. Out of the dust came a future forest that today, only a few decades later, is strong and vibrant, full of promise and hope. Mount Vesuvius was different. The explosion of that mountain went mostly straight into the air, and many of the residents of the surrounding towns, including Pompeii, were able to get out from under the cloud of ash and rock safely. But others chose to stay behind. They had too much that they valued, and they didn't want to leave. They clung to the things that they loved and the past that made them feel comfortable and made them feel important. It wasn't until the dawn of the next day, after it looked like the worst was over, that the people ventured out into the streets only to be overtaken by the next wave and buried. As they tried to escape, as they ran, they grabbed hold of the things that they thought were important. And we know this because their bodies were buried in the rubble, preserving hollow imprints of their failed escape. And in in their hands, they carried the remnants of their past things that they thought mattered the most. They carried jewelry. They carried bags of coins. They carried idols and figurines of the small G gods that they worshiped. They held on to their past and in their inability to let go, they were buried and preserved to tell a cautionary tale to you and me today. The two mountains both exploded, but the two mountains tell very different tales. One tells the tale of death because of clinging to the past. The other tells the tale of new life because of looking to the future. But both started with a boom and ended in silence. 2020 has certainly been an explosion, hasn't it? We sit here in the midst of a global pandemic, not to mention all the other things that have happened this year that just seem unfathomable. But it's been a once in a lifetime boom that has already changed the course of our, each and every one of our lives. And then on top of that, we're here in the midst of tremendous change here at Hillside. Certainly not as big of a change as what you're going through because of COVID, but not insignificant. If I can give you one other confession about why it's time for me to leave my role as a children's pastor, and it's that this, for me, it would be easy to continue in this role. It's comfortable and I enjoy it. It's been a great place. But there's a great future ahead for the children's ministry. And doggone it, we're finally building that new children's building. I've been wanting to work in that for years and years and years. But for me, the comfort of moving into that building and doing the things that were easy to do, that's not what God wanted. And from, if I were to stay in that, instead of accepting this new challenge that I believe he's got in front of me, then I wouldn't grow to become the man that God wants me to be. And this ministry and the leaders of this church wouldn't have had the opportunity to lead it into the future that it has. Sometimes it's not about being comfortable. Now you have a choice and I have a choice. Will we choose to hold so tightly to the past that we find ourselves buried in the ashes of lack of trust and lack of submission? 
because we wanted to hold on to what was comfortable. We wanted to hold on to what we knew. Will we, like the ancient Israelites, refuse to accept the blessings of Jubilee? Will we be like the people in Jesus' hometown to refuse to accept that Jesus was Jubilee fulfilled? All because we're refusing to accept change while clinging to the past? Or will we, will you and I, submit to God and allow him to bring something new out of the fertile soil of our submissive hearts? Let's pray. God, you uh, are allowing a lot of change to happen. You told us it was gonna happen in our lives. You told the Israelites it was gonna happen before they moved into the promised land. You told us we would need it before sin came into this world. So why are we surprised when it happens? Yet, Lord, we always or don't always submit to you. So I pray for each and every one of our hearts. Help us to submit, God. There is change coming. There are good things for this future, Lord. But if we hold on too tightly to the past, we can be buried by it. So Jesus, I pray that you will work in our hearts. You will help our hearts to be soft. Help us to choose soft soil for hearts so that you can make something new and beautiful and wonderful from those ashes. Thank you for all the time that I have gotten to spend in the lives of these people here, Lord, and that they have poured into me. God, I pray for a great future for all of us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the band is already up here. They are so fast. You guys are fast. Uh, We're gonna sing one more song, and if I can keep my children's pastor hat on for just one more minute, okay? One of the saddest parts of the ruins of the city of Pompeii is the children. You see, archaeologists have found families of people trying to escape with their children in tow. And, and this is the deal. Because the adults held on to what they loved about their past, their children died in the ash along with them. See, you and I have that choice today, but it's not just a choice that affects us. It affects our children. It affects our grandchildren. And it affects our grandchildren's children. If we choose today to cling to the past instead of looking toward God's future, not only will we be buried, but so will they. Now, the band's gonna sing this song. It's called The Blessing. You know it. You've heard it on the radio. You've heard it sung here. It was a priestly blessing that Aaron prayed over God's people. So today, as my last chance as your pastor, your children's pastor, this is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for your children, for your children's children, And it all starts with you and your choice to submit your lives to Jesus Christ to be your jubilee. Don't pass up that opportunity. We are so glad you joined us today online. We appreciate you being here and we're looking forward to next week. I want to remind you of two things before we go. First, here's the QR code again if you're a visitor and want to get plugged in at Hillside. Our leaders can connect with you after you fill out the form. The other thing I want to say is we know this has been a difficult time to go through right now, maybe as a family or wherever you're at in life. We want to be able to help you and reach you where you're at, whether it be through prayer or care or finding support through what you're going through. So you can do that at this email right here. Our care ministry is ready to go to get in touch with you and see how we can support you in this time so that we can give and continue to be a community that does life together. Again, Hillside, thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.